millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. No, 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 no. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, uh, hello to you. Hello. 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 How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Actually, I want to start this morning before we delve into what is undoubtedly going to be uh, an introspective, perhaps somewhat doom-laden podcast. I think we should take a moment to offer our congratulations to the Arsenal women who became Women's Super League champions yesterday with a 4-0 win over Brighton. Hurrah! Champions! Arsenal champions! Round of applause from me anyway. Um, I I think they deserve hearty congratulations for a brilliant season and we should acknowledge that um, as we prepare to cause ourselves a great deal of angst when we talk about, you know, the other Arsenal team yeah, it's kind of really annoying, isn't it, how they seem to quite regularly schedule Arsenal women's games to be up against the men's games. Um, that That is a pain. But yeah, I saw the highlights from the game. There was a couple of brilliant goals. Many congratulations to them as champions. They are absolutely doing the club proud. Sure are. If you want to read a bit more about that, head over to Arsblog News. There is a section specifically uh, dedicated to the women's team. Tim Stillman has been doing a lot of uh, fantastic post-match coverage of the Brighton game and stuff throughout the season. Uh, You can read their reactions and everything else there. So, well done to the Arsenal women, uh, to the Arsenal men. uh, uh, (laughs) What would you say to them if you could? If, if If you were able to address... The Arsenal men this morning, uh, in the wake of that Leicester game, what would you say? Lads, I'd say, what the, what the fuck is, what, what, why are you, what's, I I don't know what I'd say, because there's part of me, you know, there's, you you look at the team and you kind of go, Oh, come on, boys, you're better than that. But then I think, you know, a healthy part of what I'm feeling this morning is based around the manager, too. So I I don't feel like I could just push all the blame on the players, you know? Um, Mm. I know there are games where you think you could go, you could just like take them aside and give them a sound thrashing and hope that that might make them better. But I'm not sure that's the case this morning and certainly after this week, you know? uh, would you, was there anything specific you would say to them beyond like, what the fuck? Or yeah. just think about what you've done, really. <laughs> think about what you've done <laughs> to us all. I mean, it's been an absolutely nightmarish week. Yeah. Even, even our own uh, sort of moderate expectations have been mightily 
surpassed in their awfulness. Mm. I don't think anyone would have looked at these three games, Palace, Wolves and Leicester, and said, well, that will be three defeats. You know, you might no. have thought two, but three... But even... Th- and it, go on. Go on. Even the just fact that you might have one. thought two is bad enough, isn't it? Is that not bad? That you might have looked at games against Crystal Palace, Wolves and Leicester and thought, well, you know, we might win one of them. <laughs> I mean, that's Maybe. bad. I mean, I think... <sighs> I think Wolves are, are pretty good. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think Wolves are going to finish seventh. For a long time, they were, that was sort of Everton, wasn't it? And you would always say, well, going to Goodison Park's tricky. You don't know what you're going to get. And I think, you know, that's a game that in isolation you'd say, yeah, any, anyone could lose there. But, yes, it's not good. It's not good. It's, it's not good. It's been a really disastrous week for the team, for the club, for Unai Emery in particular, who I think has... Uh, throughout this season done a pretty good job for the most part and I've absolutely done my uh, best to give him credit where credit is due. You know, I understand the situation he's come into at this club. I understand the difficulties with the squad, with with the way the club is run. I'm sure we'll come to to that at some point as well. throughout this podcast you know I've actually made notes I don't normally make notes and I've made some notes here that we want to go through shit shit, That's big. shit is this right is big. this is yeah this is getting intense here you know but I think for all the credit that he deserves for getting us into a position where we had top four in our hands where we could have gone you know just eight days ago we could have gone above Tottenham you know, with a win against Crystal Palace. You know, we were in a good position in the Premier League. And after this week, you know, he deserves credit for that on the one hand. Absolutely. I'm not taking that away from him. But you can't give him credit on one hand for where he got us and not criticize or analyze where it's gone wrong in the last week. And I think it's gone really really wrong in the last week and it begs a lot of questions not just about the players you know we can we can discuss the individual quality of the players and and all that kind of stuff but you know the manager made decisions this week uh in some ways remember when we went to Wren and we went down to 10 men mm-hmm. and every decision that Emery made on the night was the wrong decision and it it resulted in whatever that game. What was a 3-1 defeat? 3-1. 3-1 defeat. So the way that he managed that game was wrong. All the decisions he got were wrong. Uh, and, and we can say that in hindsight because we watched the game and we, we could analyze it afterwards. Here we are sitting after three away games, three defeat or three away games, three games, three defeats, two of them away from home. And I think we can do the same thing. We can say pretty much that in each of the three games, Emery got it wrong. Would you disagree with that? Well, no, because if you lose, you got it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you lose, uh, everyone can look at it and say, well, your decisions were incorrect. But if you get the result, then everyone will say, you're a genius, you got it right. Sure, I get that, but... Uh, but Like, I, I think he got it wrong 100% against Crystal Palace. You'd never find any argument from me on that front. Okay, let's just let's touch on that very quickly. People will say he he didn't have any other choice than to play the midfield pair of Ganduzi and Elneny, which I, I accept. There were injury problems and all that. To me, it wasn't the selection of those two in midfield in isolation that was the problem. It was playing a back five or back three and wing backs. You know, that was the problem. It, w- it was that he didn't offset the weakness in midfield by uh, selecting the right formation. So to, to, for me, it was a, a formation issue 
um, more than just picking Elneny and, and uh, Ginduzi in midfield. You know, yeah. he, he took it maybe a little bit for granted that we were going to win that game because of our home record. I agree. And I think, you know, I think he probably could have played one of Torreira or Shaka. And I think after what happened to Everton and how poor Ganduzi and Elneny were as a pairing, I think I would have done that. But if you have to play them, if you absolutely have to, then start with you know uh, Iwobi or something in the in the mm. uh, you know in the attack or add that fourth attacking player. Yeah. I, I, you know I would mitigate that. Despite that, there were other reasons that we lost that game as well. But of I course, I would not um, challenge the idea that he got that wrong. Okay. Uh, so if you get that right from the start and you take control of the game, maybe you don't make the mistakes that we made. And you know, Mustafi obviously had a nightmare that day uh, and he made mistakes which contributed very uh, in very large part to losing that game against Palace. But if you take control of that game in the first half, maybe you're not in a position where, you know, mistakes kill you or or you know, the the game plays out in a different way. That's what I'm saying. So then we mm. go to Wolves and he has to take a risk because he's lost at home against Palace in a game in which he should be perhaps a little bit more conservative or we could understand a conservative approach uh, more easily and more readily and which would have been perhaps better suited to that game because, as you point out, Wolves are good and are seventh and are playing very well. He has to take a risk and the risk backfires, right? Yeah, that, that's fair. Although I would say that, you know, we sat on this podcast and picked our Wolves team and it was the team he put out. Like, at that moment that lineup was announced, everyone was like, oh, great, four at the back. Okay. We're going for it. Okay. Um, you know? uh, yep, fair enough. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll fully accept that. I'll fully accept that. But was our team for Wolves not based on the fact that we just lost against Crystal Palace? So if we'd had a win against Crystal Palace at home, would we perhaps have been more inclined to, to say, actually, the best approach away from home is, you know, to play three at the back and, and maybe be a a bit more in control. You know, I'm I'm again, hindsight's a wonderful thing and all that. So Yeah, of course. If we beat if we beat Palace, obviously a point against Wolves becomes a good point, especially with the fact that Chelsea <laughs> dropped points against Burnley on Monday. I mean arguably Chelsea dropping those points um made a point a decent enough result against Wolves anyway. Yeah. Uh so I agree that in some ways the approaches to the Palace and Wolves game, again ideally post rationalising should have been flipped. Uh, we were sort of too negative in the home game and maybe a bit too ambitious in the away game. Although, actually, you know, I, I, if we attacked well, I don't think it would have been such a problem, but we just were so such a blunt force yes, against Wolves. Yes, we were, we were. And that's a worry, and that's maybe something we'll, we'll come to again uh, in, in a little while. So then, what, what did you make of the team that he picked yesterday? Well, I think it was surprising. I mean, Emery's uh, instinct is to twist rather than stick if something doesn't work. And to his credit, that has largely worked this season. You know, I know we've had sort of patches where we haven't been convinced by performance, but I would say in results terms, this is our probably our first really actually bad spell of the season. You know, we hadn't lost more than two consecutive games since his first two games. Generally, when there'd been a really bad result, he had managed to provoke a response to that and that sort of contributed to the sort of stop and start one step forward two step back feeling that we've sort of had this season but this week it has felt like he 
he's been just reaching for something, trying to pull something out of his ass, and it, it hasn't worked. The only thing I would say about what he picked is that it is essentially the team he picked in probably our best away performance of the season, which was at Fulham, which was a back four, a midfield four with Owobi and Mkhitaryan wide and two up top. So it's not like there wasn't some precedent for that working. No, I mean, uh, I looked at the lineup and I thought, OK, I knew he was going to rest Koscielny. He had to rest Koscielny. We all understood that. Yeah. Mustafi came back in. Um, you know, I don't think Mustafi in particular was, was any problem really yesterday. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that that was an issue. Um, no. what, what really annoyed me, or annoyed me, but made me a bit sad actually, was our approach to the game. And I've seen mm. people say, well, you know, we've been really bad away from... Look at what happened against Wolves where we had control of the game and we had more possession and then we lost 3-0. As if somehow having possession is a bad thing or trying to control the game is a, is a bad thing. You know, um, I, I thought the way we set up or the way we approached the game yesterday was really timid. It was... Not what I expect from Arsenal. It's not what I expect from an Arsenal team with those players in it. You know, uh, I think that team that he picked is more than capable of playing uh, good attacking football, or certainly has done in the past. You know, there were a few differences from the from the lineup um, that we went to Wembley with and played very well against Tottenham with. Hmm. You know, so it's not a question that these players can't play attacking football or can't control a game or can't, you know, get on top of the opposition. We went there and we were afraid. We were afraid from the first minute. And that, I think, played a big part in how yesterday went. I, I feel like, in some ways, it was a, a contributory factor to to the fact we went down to 10 men because we were playing on the back foot the whole time. You know, Leicester had amazing chances before we even went down to 10 men and Emery is saying we started very well. I mean, I, I, I think I did it in the live blog. We, by the 15th minute, we'd only made something like 10 passes. You know, mm. and for our, this is Arsenal going to Leicester. This is not fucking Burton Albion going to Barcelona. And that's the way we set up. And for me, that was, that was a really hard thing to watch and a hard thing to take to be honest, because it felt like we were, uh, <clears throat> because it felt like we were it afraid. Is, it is upsetting, don't worry. Sorry. We're, all, we're all sad. We're all <laughs> Sorry, sad. I have a little bit uh, croaky there, but, you know, it, it, it just felt like a really small-time approach to a game. And people might say it's pragmatic. I would say it's wrong. I, I just don't know how you can... How, you, how do you go to a club or how do you go into a game knowing that you conceded three goals in your last two games, defensively, you're not great anyway, and your game plan is based around letting the opposition have the ball? How does that make any sense? Well, uh, I, I don't feel as strongly about that as you, just because I'm not that bothered if we're a possession team or not. Like, it doesn't really matter to me if we control the ball. I've watched a lot of Arsenal controlling the ball. And to be honest, it's often quite boring. It's often really boring. And, uh, you know, I think that if you look at... It's interesting you cite the Spurs performance. That's not a game where we controlled the ball. Like, we were on the back foot. We were That was a rearguard action for long periods. We are playing out on the break. And actually, all of Emery's 
great performances this season have been like that or you know they've been like the home games against United and Chelsea where in the second half we sit off and when we win and we like it we satisfy ourselves and say yeah they just were comfortable there they saw that out but the reality is it's a pretty negative not negative but it's a pretty sort of defence first approach but this is Leicester yeah but I'm just saying that all the hallmarks of Emery's good performances are kind of consistent. Like, it's not surprising to me. He's never, ever been a guy who goes out to control the ball and control the game. Mm. I think he said protagonists once in a press conference, and I think people mm, have misinterpreted that. I don't think it's like, this is new. I think he's been, he's always been this coach. Uh, and, and, and it's completely fair to not like it and be like, I don't think that's how Arsenal play. But Arsenal have played that way for the last five years and it hasn't been very successful, you know? Hmm. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I hear you, but I also am like, do we have the... I'm not sure I agree with you that we have the quality to sort of go to Leicester and, and completely dominate them. I didn't, I, I, we should, I didn't say we should completely dominate them. What I say, what I mean is we should go and try and play football, not not go and oh man, it was just so insipid and so weak and so craven. You know, there was no. Um, I, I don't want to go down the road of talking about um, character and intensity and all that kind of stuff, but you can see when players are 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 up for a game and we weren't up for that game yesterday i agree with you but then like what does whatever system you play whatever your intention is how do you explain uh, granite shaka and lucas Torreira being absolutely boss for the entire game by chowdhury and Didi? like us losing every, almost every 50-50 in the match you know whatever system you play that can't be changed you know that's that's the players for me but are you saying that those players can't compete against Ndidi and Chowdhury are you is that what you're saying that that Lucas Torreira the guy who many were holding up as the answer to our midfield problems earlier in the season he was bringing us qualities that we didn't have he was competitive he was winning tackles mm-hmm. are you saying that they are incapable of doing that job against a mid-table Premier League team or is it that perhaps the system or the way that we were instructed to play yesterday meant that they couldn't perform that way? I think it's sort of probably a bit of both. But I would say that there is an issue with this squad that we, I think we massively overestimate their ability. And when I look at this squad, I'm like, there are a lot of relics of when we were a top club, but yeah. they're sort of not anymore. I tell you what, I, yeah, go on. Well, I was just going to say that, like, you know, when you see, you know, we talk about that idea of, like, the Goldilocks player and say someone like a Shaka, and we're like, well, of course he's brilliant. Do you remember that game where he was brilliant? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, why, why isn't he like that game where he was brilliant all the time? And it's because, because he's not that player. What we do is we see a player at the top end of their performance and we think that's their level. But it isn't their level. They don't produce it every single week. Mm. Uh, uh, and I find that a real issue. And, and if I think if we had a squad that I felt we could go to, even Leicester, 
even Leicester, who, by the way, I don't think are, are terrible. Like, it's not like this is Huddersfield, which was a really poor performance as well, don't get me wrong. But if I thought we could go to Leicester and play 4-2-3-1 and win that match, I mean, if, if Emery's not confident in that, I understand, because I'm not confident in that at all. Yeah. I think we would lose playing like that. Well, we lost playing the way that he sent us out to play as well. I know there's the red card will come into it, and we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, look, it's I, first goal wins away from home. Of course it is, but I mean that's that's a, another indictment of our character, if you ask me. That, yeah. you know, the minute a goal goes in against us at home, we're we're done for. We're gone. Um, I, what I, I would say is that has changed. Like you, in the, oh, at the start of the season, we were, had frequently bad starts, terrible first halves, went behind, and we were coming back and winning or drawing those games at home and it was not away from home if we go if we concede the first goal away from home that's it we're done we've only got one point away from home when the opposition have scored first all season so that's right yeah. that's I'm really... thinking of games like there was Cardiff was there or something is that is yeah I think we scored first and they equalized we scored again they equalized right. and they got a winner you know but but let me let me posit this to you do you feel like the approach yesterday as mm. As much as you can see the sense in it, do you not feel like it transmits something to the players in terms of the belief that they have in themselves? Because, you I know, know, I can... I mean, because Unai Emery sits there in the press conference afterwards, and unless he's lying, he says the intention was to control the game. Uh, and I think he says control the ball. So, you know, we can say the approach was wrong, but... I don't know to what extent we we know that they're carrying out his instruction. I mean, I'm sure the approach wasn't, guys, when you get out there, can you try and lose every challenge and not really string a pass together? That'd be great, thanks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it, it, let me just read what he did say. Um... Okay, well, you find it, because ultimately he's picked 4-4-2, he's picked two strikers. Yeah. That's not a negative inherently system. No, I I agree with you, but how you... How you, how you approach a game can make that a negative system. Like, if you've no intent to play, it can only be negative. If your intent is to just sit back and, and hit on the counterattack, which is a mm. fucking ludicrous idea when you're a team that can't really defend, you know? I, I, you know, it, it just makes my head scramble trying to get my head around that. But, but he said, how we got a point at Spurs. That, uh, that is what we did at Spurs. That's the thing. This, and everyone, everyone raves about that. Yeah. And I know it's Spurs. I know it's Spurs, but... I, I think it's... This is who Emery is. This is who he is. I don't like I'm it. Saying. I don't like it. Um, yeah. He said, our game plan was to be strong today in our defensive moments and in, and in our attacking moments to take our chances, attacking their back four. We started very well. We started controlling the match. Good positioning. Defensively, not a lot of problems. They were mm. with the possession, but the idea at home, above all, is to control with possession, but we were good on the pitch. And then he said, the second yellow card gave us a lot of problems to control or continue our game plan. As if somehow the second yellow card was what was preventing us from being uh, being in this game, right? Yeah, we were but really I, poor yeah, before we, the red card. Exactly. They had eight attempts on goal, maybe nine attempts on goal. There was a brilliant chance for Vardy. I mean, I know Iwobi had a, a chance on his left foot, which he missed as well, but it ignores the... I mean, how can you say we started very well? 
How can you look at the way that Arsenal played yesterday and think that that is an acceptable way to approach a, a Premier League game? I just, I, I, I hear everything you're saying. I just do not agree that Arsenal, regardless of what you think about the individual quality of the players, should be that craven away from home. Because it's it's about, you can say it's about uh, trying to control a game defensively. You can't control a game defensively, and we didn't control a game defensively with those players. That's a foolish way to set up, if you ask me. Um, the only realistic way I could see us winning that game, James, was to try and control possession for at least some period of the game. And... To rely on defenders who have performed or underperformed throughout this season, um, who just conceded three goals in their last two games, to to base your game plan around defense, I I just can't. I just can't. I don't get it. I think it's... uh, I think Emery was afraid. I think his natural... um, What's the word? His sort of default position when he's a little bit under pressure is to be to try and make us more solid defensively. And this was our 36th game of the season. And if he hasn't seen by now that that's not a strength around which to base uh, your your approach to a game, I, I worry in a big way. Well, I think that you're right. I think that is his inclination. I think that especially away from home. Uh, he's kind of a defence-first guy. And I think that if you look at his away record at Sevilla, and obviously there's the infamous season of not winning a game away from home, I think that probably tells you that that's sort of, A, a, a consequence of that stance, and B, probably has influenced that stance. You know, there is probably a bit of trepidation and fear for him when he goes away from home. I... I, I concur. I just, I guess I just don't, I'm not so of the mind that like Arsenal must be this possession-based team and that must be how we play. It's not really an ideal I share necessarily because, you know, there were times last season where I was like, bring me Diego Simeone, bring me Rafa Benitez, bring me someone who can organise this fucking team. Like, I don't, I don't think that's inherently awful. Uh, but, I don't necessarily think that Emery's the best exponent of it. No. No, I, I agree with you in that. I mean, I, I, I love defending and I love a team that can defend. And if you ask me, you know, is there as much enjoyment in seeing us, uh, you know, scrap out a 1-0 as winning 4-0? Perhaps not, but I can see the beauty of it. And I, I've, we've watched it down the years. You know, we are wedded to this perhaps uh, ideal of attacking football that Arsene Wenger brought to the club. You know, Emery's not, he's not that guy. Um, and, and I do... I do see the logic in having a pragmatic approach or being tactically flexible. So here's my question. Here's one of the notes that I put down. Um, It's something we touched on earlier in the season. It's sort of gone away. But after 36 games, what is Unai Emery's style of football? Do you understand it? And do you think the players understand it? If you know what it is. Yeah, I think it is reactive. I think that he is someone who does change his style, his system, his lineup, dependent on the occasion. 
depending on the opponent, depending on the task. So I think it is sort of almost impossible to say Unai Emery's teams play like that. Do I think the players understand it? Not really, no. I don't think they do. Um, They don't look like they do, do they? No, they don't. I mean, when you say it's reactive, it's reactive before the game, but not necessarily during a game. Like, he's not a manager who can turn a game around, really, when things are going badly. I don't agree with that, actually. I think he can. Do you not? Yeah. Like, I I think... Like, give me an example of it. Give me an example of it. The Spurs derby at home. Two changes at half-time. Fair enough. Massively swings the momentum. I think in the first half of the season, we were banging on about these substitutions. Oh, my God, his half-time changes. He's, he, you know, he might get it wrong at the start, but he's so good at changing it once it's kicked off. You know, that, that was definitely a discussion. Now, has that been less true of late? Definitely. Okay, but yeah, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Generally are in a dip. I think he gets it right during games sometimes more than he does before. I think he spends a lot of time correcting his mistakes. Um, I mean, I, look, I'm not saying in any of this that I think Unai is doing an incredible job. Uh, I'm just saying that I think fundamentally, to sort of jumping ahead here, I'm enjoying this season more than I have other seasons because I like having a manager. I chaos. like the variation. You yeah, like well, chaos. It's not, it's not chaos. I think it's like I like there being a sort of logic and a kind of... Uh, I just find it interesting, I guess. But I was so it, bored by Arsenal. Sure, I get it. But do you not find... I mean, I, I, I know what you're saying, but I, I think I find this really frustrating as well. I think most it's, people do. I think most people do. Yeah, it's just really a continuation. It's the same but different, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I think what's going on really is that... I, I, you know, this is broadening out. We're sort of stepping away from the match slightly, but I think a lot of people said when Arsene Wenger left, right, it's going to be transition now. It's going to be sticky. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And I think they didn't mean that when they said they were ready for that. <laughs> I think that was a lie that a lot of people told then. And, you know, to my mind, we are in that transition and we probably have got a ferryman manager who's here for the next two or three years and has a very sort of specific job, which is get us back into the top four, even though we're probably not really good enough for the top four. And I don't really, however awful this week has been, see a reason to be like, well, that that plan's completely gone to shit and completely out the window. Okay, but do, do you not... I mean, I have to say, you know, again, with the caveat that I've I've... I can see all the challenges that Unai Emery has had to face throughout mm. this season, you know, with injuries, with a lack of backing from, from the board and from the club in January when I think we, as a team and as a club, we really needed it and there was none yeah. forthcoming. You know, I think there's a, a, a fundamental issue at the very top of the club, which we, we can discuss probably in part two. Um, but, you know, having put us in a position to achieve top four, and to secure Champions League football, whether we're ready for it or not, or good enough, you know, I don't, I don't see that as uh, as an excuse, right? Because the more no. we, the more we're out of the Champions League, the less ready the we're going to be, yeah. and the worse we're going to get for it. So my my faith or belief in what Unai Emery is doing has been very shaken by the last four or five Premier League games. We've won one of our last five games at a crucial point in the season when the pressure is on 
and when you can read a lot into how a manager performs, because we can talk about the players and this, that, and the other. Nobody questions the players when we beat Napoli 2-0 and go away and we beat them away from home or when we beat Manchester United or when we beat Chelsea or when we beat Tottenham. You know, there's none of this, well, these aren't his players. Mm. They're the players that he's worked with to get those results. So these are his players when things go poorly. So for the only game uh, we've played Everton, Watford, Palace, Wolves and Leicester. And the only game we won was a 1-0 away at Watford with a freakish goal when they were down to 10 men for 80 minutes. You know, I accept Mm. everything that you're saying. We didn't deserve to. No, no, maybe we didn't. You know, um, it's just really worrying that at this point... It's really bad. It's really bad. really bad. Yeah, it's a terrible run. But, you know... Surely, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent on Emery, but like the book stops with the manager when it yeah. comes right down to it, and and we are tired, and we've had a lot of games in April, and we've had injuries, but I think a good manager. I'm not saying Emery's not a good manager, but I, I, the point I'm making is a good manager will make decisions which offset those problems as much as possible and I feel the way that Emery has operated in the last few weeks is that he's he's just made those issues worse and and I think that comes sorry, down to him for me yeah I think that that's fair and I think it has been a really bad run particularly domestically I mean obviously the Napoli games are kind of sandwiched in there but in the Premier League it's been really poor and uh To be clear, I'm not denying that. And no one is more uh, gutted than me that we aren't going to make top four now. I mean, I I think I said I'd rather have top four than win the Europa League. I really wanted the top four. I really wanted the top four because it would have been a real indicator of progress, you know, in a way that I think winning a cup just isn't. You know, I mean, it's great. It's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't make you a brilliant team. You know, we know that enough from the FA Cup. So... Yeah, I wanted the top four, and I think we've shown that we aren't at that level. And, and there is momentum involved. I mean, we're, this is an incredibly bad run, and it's sort of got, uh, what's the word, like incrementally worse. And I think you're right, as Emery sort of tried to correct his, his own mistakes, it's kind of become a circular problem. You know, Andre Villas-Boas would call it a negative spiral. Yeah. But um, and it is and I, and the fear is like I mean I don't necessarily know how you arrest that at this point and obviously there's a real fear that it could bleed into our Europa League campaign. Yeah, it is. Um, mm. And and I, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I do I do lay a good deal of blame at the manager's uh, door. I just I think that it's right to talk about the players too because. We seem to be so convinced of their ability, despite relatively limited evidence. Okay, all right, yeah, okay. This brings me on to my next thing. This brings me on to my next thing. Uh, but let's first just discuss very quickly the the red card for Ainsley Maitland-Niles, yeah. which, you know, uh, leaving aside everything else that we've been saying, undoubtedly had an impact on the game. Because it was nil-nil, it was nil-nil until the hour mark, and, you know, who knows? Uh, with With 11 men... 
maybe we score a goal. Maybe Leicester have to have to push on a bit. Maybe we find a break and we score the second goal. You know, we can't ignore the fact that it had an impact on the game. I thought that first yellow card was absurd. If that's a yellow card, if that's a bookable offence, there wouldn't be a game finished with 11 men on either side uh, in the Premier League or any league that you ever play football in. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking to, to give a yellow card there. Uh, see, weirdly, I actually think the second yellow card is is more egregious, only because in the first case, I, I presume the yellow card is not actually for the shoulder, not actually for the challenge, but for the perceived cynicism. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that no, the guy's I, yeah. like in behind. Fair enough. But, uh, you know, I still think it's just like... Yeah, a, it's still harsh. Don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a sort of 50-50, maybe 60-40 in, in favour of the Leicester player and the two players come together. You know, it's a free kick. No question. Free kick, but it's not a yellow card, I don't think. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, like uh, yeah. he was hanging onto his jersey or, or anything like that. I, I, for me, the second one, I'm like, well, mm. he doesn't really even make contact. You know, no, and, and actually, actually, the uh, the decision is made by the scream of the player. That's why he made the decision. When right. when Madison was like, ah, he, he killed me. You know, I think that's what he gave the yellow card for because he was playing on. He was playing yeah, on, and then he I brought felt it for back. Maitland-Niles because he, you know, I, he was kind of talking to Madison after, wasn't he, and saying, yeah. Thanks for nothing. What, what did you make? I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying that somehow that's uh, uh, symptomatic of our problems at the moment, that, that, that uh, Maitland-Niles, uh, not so much that he's hugging Madison, but like that the two of them have a, a discussion rather than Maitland-Niles going crazy. I mean, I have to say, what's the benefit of a young guy going absolutely mental in that situation? He's got to respect the, the decision of the referee. Um, you know, it's not like he can just spark Madison out on the pitch and yeah. get himself a five-game or a ten-game ban. You know, and um, I think the little we know about Maitland-Niles, I don't think that's his no. natural reaction. Do you know what I mean? He no, seems no. like a very placid kind of guy. Yeah. Um, no, I've got no issue with him being like a reasonable man whatsoever. <laughs> I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, it, it played a it played a part. Um, and we brought Iwobi off, brought Koscielny on, and, and uh, you know, ultimately the, the goals, do we need, even need to discuss the goals? I think Xhaka was really poor for the first goal. Um, second I've goal. the first goal. First so goal was, was the, uh, the header, yeah. The header, yeah. Tielemans yeah. uh, ran off him. Um, yeah, Tielemans, a player who came on loan from Monaco, who was available in January. I know, and I, I think I... T- Spoke about it on Twitter at the time because he's. I've I've always liked him as a player. He had a terrible time at Monaco, but really talented. And you know, if Leicester managed to keep him, I think that I think they'll struggle to be honest. No, I, I think good. so too. But it just shows you that there was potentially a player out there in January, at least one player, yeah, who might have made a difference to this squad. It's quite funny, isn't it? You know. Um, Every time we play anyone, certainly this week, you know, there's people saying, well, you know what, this guy would walk into the Arsenal squad, that guy would walk into the Arsenal squad. Absolutely. The more games we play, the easier it is to get into this Arsenal squad. By the end of the season, maybe some of us could fucking get into it. Um, second goal, really poor defending. I think Koscielny and Socrates were very poor. Uh, long ball from from uh, Schmeichel over the top, Jamie Vardy. Uh, you know, I uh, just... Uh, and the third one, Gendouzi. I'm not sure what Gendouzi is doing. Um, you know, as a young guy who's got a lot to prove still, I don't think he can be proud of his effort there. I think Socrates is poor. He gets dragged towards the ball, loses Vardy. Um, you know, 
Jamie the third goal looked to me like uh, a dead game at that point. I mean, uh, there's a lot yeah. of players who I was like, you're not really in this game at this Second stage. goal, second goal's a dead game. Or, a dead, you know, look at it. If you look at it, Socrates kind of gives up and Koscielny kind of gives up. Because yeah. they just assume... And Mustafi to an extent, uh, yeah. uh, the far post. Right. But, yeah, I... Um, but the second goal, I mean, I saw some people blaming Leno. Did you feel that he should have been quicker, maybe? Off? I mean, I think he just baffled that the centre-halves don't win it. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know how yesterday you could point any fingers of blame at Burned Leno because he made, what, five or six outstanding saves. He was our best player by a mile, even though he conceded three goals. I know he was culpable during the week, but, you know, he had a, he had, a, he had an off night against uh, Wolves. But, you know, he, he has been one of our best players recently. And, and that tells you something as well, that our goalkeeper is being as uh, worked as hard as he is. It says such a lot about what kind of a team we are at the moment. So um, I, I wouldn't point any fingers of blame at Leno for that. It was fucking game over anyway. It was so late and we weren't going to score. We didn't it was game much. over from the red card. I mean, I know we were terrible before, but there was always, in my mind, I was watching it thinking, well, we've been really bad in this first half, but if we get in at nil-nil at half-time, you know, maybe we can use that as a little bit of a platform. But when we lost Maitland-Niles, I was like, well, this is, I mean, this is done, you know. And, and um, it's something I've heard Tim Stillman talk about, but essentially when Arsenal suffer a setback, particularly away from home, they just don't seem mm. to have any kind of response. Um and, you know, from the first goal, I mean, it was, you know, yeah. absolutely clear what happened. Dreadful. Dreadful. A really bad day, a really bad week. And amazingly, we're still not completely out of the top four. Uh, <sighs> don't know. No, no, no. I Listen, I, I said it after the, the Wolves yeah. game, I think, or before or after the Palace game. I said it's gone. But, you know, mathematically, it is still possible if we beat Brighton mm-hmm. and if we beat Burnley. Manchester, Manchester City um, uh, found it very tough against Burnley yesterday, um, which tells you uh, that we're going to have a, a real fight on our hands <laughs> if we manage to beat Brighton. Um, We'd need Chelsea to lose a game. we need Chelsea lose to lose, lose a game. Or, well, they're going to Leicester, so or or draw a game, and we need to pick up some goals in terms of goal difference. Well, so. we've done our goal difference some real damage again. This week. You know, another another really bad reflection, I think, on on the manager. So, yeah. um, I want to talk a bit about the squad, and I want to talk a bit about the the players that we have, and and what we need to do. And I thought about this yesterday: what we need to do this summer um, in the transfer market. And then I went. Ugh. Jesus, we've got such a such a big job. But just off the top of your head, right? This is I'm going to go through the squad, and I want you to tell me whether or not you would uh, keep or uh, keep a player, or you wouldn't care if we let him go, right? I mean, okay, okay, you wouldn't care. I was well, going to say, can ca- there be a don't care option? Because yeah. it's going to be a lot of them. <laughs> this is going to be a don't care. You know, it's keep or or don't care. So Petr Cech, as we know, is going. Uh, mm. Leno, keep for me. Yeah, keep. Be- keep. Bellerin. Keep Keep. Socrates. Keep. Koscielny. I would have to say keep. Yeah, me too. Uh, Licksteiner. Gone. Go, yeah. Holding. Keep. Monreal. I would err on the side of keep, but I think that puts me in a minority. Yeah, I would too, but then we can discuss what we need to do with the squad in in, in a minute. Mustafi. Mm. Go. Oh, go, yeah. Jenkinson. Go. Mavropanos. For me, go on loan. Okay. Kolasinac. I would keep Kolasinac, probably. Yeah. Would you? 
if we could get a left back, I'd replace him. I think he's really very average, to be honest. I think he's. Average. I mean, the, the, the reason to not keep him is because he's on quite big money, to be honest. Um, you know, yeah, so- I know. I, I don't even want to talk about wages when we, we when we uh, discuss okay, this. This is it's not a consideration. It's just as a player. This is a footballing footballing consideration. consideration. Okay. El Neni. Oh, he could go. Yeah. Mkhitaryan. He could go. Yeah. Ramsey is going. Keep, 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 keep. Uh, Ozil. Uh, come at me, guys. He could go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I feel like we could move on. I feel like we could move on. Just very quickly on Ozil, I, I basically feel like we're, it's not actually, I've written a piece on this for the Athletic this week, but it's not a question of if Ozil's good enough for Arsenal. It's sort of a question if Arsenal are good enough to support Ozil at this point, tactically. And I, I don't think we are. I, I don't think... I think Ozil could go to Man City or Barcelona and probably be pretty brilliant. I don't think that's going to happen at Arsenal. Well, so it's, sir, it's, I tell you what, it, it's definitely not going to happen at Arsenal while Unai Emery is the manager. Yeah, Although I would, I would, I would definitely agree with that. But I would also say that in the latter years of Arsene Wenger, I think, I think that Özil brought with him certain tactical issues. Yeah. I, I think where, given where we are and where we need to get, I think we sort of need more of an efficiency. Mm. And so, it's it's it isn't personal, but I would. Say. Mm. Uh, Torreira. I would keep Torreira. Of course, Maitland Niles. Yeah, I'd keep most of the academy boys probably. Dennis Suarez, uh, he's gonna he's gonna <laughs> go anyway. Um, Genduzi, I would keep Genduzi. I would keep Genduzi only because we've only had a year of him, but I'm not as hot on him as many people are. Xhaka, I don't. Uh, Oh, that's a hard one. I'm going to say I don't care, I guess. I don't care either. And I, I would err on the side of go. I, I think the reason we talk about Xhaka or the reason Xhaka becomes important to us is because of the paucity of quality uh, and options that we have in our midfield. I think he's an okay player, but three years on now, you know, if he goes, he can go. He can go. You know, yeah. I, I don't think he's a bad guy or anything like that, but... I think he's. It just feels like we endlessly talk about him as well. Do you know what I mean? I feel that's not a good sign. No. No. If you're constantly debating about whether a player is good enough or not, chances are that, you know, there are issues with him. Uh, Lacazette. Keep. Uh, uh, Obama Yang. I think keep. You would keep our top scorer. Nice one. I know. I know. (laughs) It's, It's left field, isn't it? Um, I do have I do have a worry. Sorry, that just under that, the, the reason only hesitation for me is that I have this sort of growing suspicion that the the players in this squad that we would class as sort of great players are all old ones. So, like, I think in their careers, Czech, Koscielny, Özil, Aubameyang have been great players. I am not sure they are great players now. Um, so that's just a little concern I have, but I think we need a Bamiya. Mm, okay, it will be. I would keep. Uh, at, mm, I would keep, but I wouldn't be devastated if he was sold. All right. Uh, so I guess he moves into don't care from there. 
Uh, Danny Welbeck is going. You? Well, yeah, I keep him, but you know, as a squad player and not somebody who should be starting yeah. uh, every week. Danny uh, Welbeck keep for me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, he's going. Um, and then we're on to some lone players. Uh, Ospina. Yeah, he could go. Yeah, uh, Chambers. I think I would keep Callum Chambers at this point, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I but think... yeah, I don't care. So I don't care is what I'm saying. You know, he could go. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's a that's a, a significant portion of the squad that we would either let go or wouldn't care less if they went. Right. Yes. Okay. So let me lay this on you now. Um, this is this is what I think we need to do in the transfer market this summer, okay. and some of these things are linked. All right, so we can we can talk about them, but I'll just lay it out for you. We need a replacement for Petr Cech. We need mm-hmm. a replacement for Aaron Ramsey. We need a replacement for Danny Welbeck. Mm-hmm. We need a right back. We need a left back. We need at least one central defender. We need a central midfielder. Again, you could tie this in with the replacement for Ramsey, if you like. We need a wide forward slash winger, and you could tie that into the replacement for Welbeck. And I feel like we need another striker. Now, whether that's Eddie Nketiah to play third choice to... to Lacazette and Aubameyang, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how he develops as a player unless he goes and plays some some regular football, but I don't know that we can lean on those two players as hard as we have this season. Now, that, again, could be tied into getting a wide forward or a winger in that the transfer market. players in one. It could be, yeah, or one player in, in two. Um, I don't know what I just said there. It doesn't make sure. any sense to me. But um, that's where I think we are. So now... Let me also, <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting emotional again. My, uh, but we also need to to be a bit more ruthless with some of the players that are in this squad that aren't contributing and won't contribute. You know, so you're you're looking at bringing in some squad players as well. So whether that's via the the academy, you know, mm-hmm. if you let El Neni go, can you can you suggest, uh, for example, perhaps that that Joe Willock could take his place in the squad. I think maybe you could, mm. right? If Joe Willock is deemed ready to play four or five Premier League games the next season and feature in, in the Cups and the Europa League, maybe, if we're back in that, then then why not? That's a, that's a solution to, to some, of those, uh, some of those issues within the squad. Yeah. Right? Would you disagree with any of that? Or would you say there's more to do? Is there anything that I've left out that you would like to see us do? Um, I think my only disagreement would be, do they all have to be signings? Like, is there a a degree to which we would be able to promote... Sure. The right back, for example, like, is there... Could that be Maitland-Niles, for example? Or could Mm. the goalkeeper be... Martinez and Emmy Martinez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who has I'm, apparently been very, very good for Reddit. Uh, Reddit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying that all those things should be signings. I sorry, right. I should have made that clear. So a replacement for Czech doesn't mean that we've got to go out and buy a goalkeeper if they think that you know Emmy Martinez is the guy to come in and play second fiddle to to Burn Leno. I'm not sure I'd have a 
big problem with that anymore. Mm. I know previously I've sort of expressed some doubts, but he has done well at Reading. And realistically, you know, when I think about the budget that we have, um, maybe that's the right solution for this season. You know? Well, yeah, there's a couple of things. One is that we can't afford to make that many signings without selling more players than, uh, you know, so maybe we would, you know, given how many players there are that you and I don't really care if they're here or not, there is an argument to say, well, sell a bunch of them and then you can actually get those. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you but need. it's, you know, uh, we don't have a, a, well, let me come back to that then. Go on, just continue. Well, uh yeah, I recognise it's not as straightforward as that. Uh, no, I don't, in principle, agree disagree with your list. Okay. I think it's, I think it's essentially I, it's what we would ideally get. That That's a lot of work. Yeah, massive amount of work. More we, than I believe will realistically happen, to be I, honest. I agree, which means we're going to have to stick with some of the underperforming players from this mm. season. Yeah. Which is, you know... I, I think if you if you step back from it objectively and say, is it realistic to do that amount of business in one summer or one transfer window? Maybe it's not, but maybe a club with actual ambition might have done one or two deals in January, which would mean that you're you're making incremental progress. You're not having to do everything in a summer. For example, absolutely. The nature of transition is that you have probably more changes to implement than you have time to do, and that could be a two or even three-year process. So, but you, but the fact that we essentially wasted a window looks increasingly like a massive, massive mistake, especially if they don't follow it up with a lot of activity this summer. Okay, right. Here's the other burning major issue for me is that our head of recruitment left in February and we knew he was leaving for a little while and we haven't appointed anybody to that role. We tried to appoint Manchi and he turned us down and then the club said, no, it's fine, don't worry about it. You know, we're in, we're in no great hurry to make that position, uh, get somebody in, even though we offered the job to a fucking guy and fully expected him to take it. You know, it's all cool, don't worry. Uh, we don't have a head of recruitment. We have Raul Sanyehi, who is a, a deal closer, an administrator, a schmoozer, a kind of football executive, a boardroom kind of a guy, not a talent spotting kind of guy, right? 100%, yeah. Okay, and that's great to have that kind of man at the club because we all wanted a new David Dean type figure and if he could be that guy, you know, that was the ideal, wasn't it? Because Sven was going to go and, and, and identify the players and, you know, do the scouting and do the, do the groundwork to bring these players to the club and Sanyehi was going to get the deals done. That's what he was going to do. And it seemed to work in reasonable, uh, in a reasonable way last summer, didn't it? Because we got our deals done. We got the business done before mid-July and that looked like uh, the right way for our recruitment business to be done. Gazidis leaves. We have a power vacuum. Sanyehi takes the power Mislintat's gone. We don't know who the fuck is really making the decisions behind the scenes about who we're going to buy mm. and who, which sort of talent we're, we're spotting. And that's a big, big worry for me. 
that's a really big worry for me. That I, I feel... Well, yeah, go on. Well, I think, judging by who we got in January, I would guess that the decision's being made between sort of Emery and Sanyehi. I okay. mean, that's the way it would look to me. Right, so based on who we got in January, how much faith does that instill for you... In... Not a huge amount. No. <laughs> you know, we Not a huge amount. No. I've always favoured a technical director model. I think that it gives the club uh, more stability. Uh, you know, it makes them less reliant on a manager. It effectively makes the manager more disposable, which I think is sort of the right way for us to go at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I would love to have someone in that position. It's really alarming. I mean, how long is it now since Monchi went back to Sevilla, it must be a month at least. Yeah. And there's been no talk of uh, an appointment. So that's, in fact, that's gone very, 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 very quiet. And I would imagine most clubs are sort of really beginning their summer transfer work in earnest right now. Yeah. It's, um, it is a worry. You know, Mislintat left in, in February and there were rumours for, you know, a, a good few weeks before that. And you would imagine that behind the scenes, the club knew that he was going. Um, oh, yeah. You know. Uh, From the Christmas time, at least, I would think. Yeah. They must have known. So for that whole of that January window, he was effectively working out his notice. Yeah. You know, and I know I, I know the, the logic behind, you know, not wanting to do business in January. But... What oh, we, I think we needed it, though. I mean... Yeah, of course you know, we needed it. was a, it. a justifiable way of excusing it, but we lost three players uh, to season-ending injuries. I mean, we replaced them with a guy who was back up in a position where, by the time we got him, we didn't really need the backup. No. No, and who's been injured and, uh, you know, has been absolutely useless for us, a, a complete and utter waste of time and money. Because that, that went on for basically the whole of January. This, this, um, this negotiation with Barcelona to bring in Dennis Suarez, and we spent ages and ages and ages working out a deal where we wouldn't have to buy him in the end. And for uh, what? Uh, uh and I think, you know, there were a few players in the mix in those last couple of days, the transfer window. And I really think that, you know, I, I don't think Perisic was the right guy. Or, and I'm not even sure Carrasco was the right guy. But I really think we got the wrong type. I mean, when I look at that list of what we require, as poor as we are defensively, I do think a wide player with pace and goal threat is so, so high on the list. I think we're desperately short in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think I've got more questions on this um, in relation to right. to the owners and, and stuff like that. So anything else? I mean, this is a long part one, um, but anything else you want to bring up before we move on to the questions and, and deal with those issues? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm sure there'll be stuff in the questions that will cover that ground. I think we've had a lot of questions today, perhaps understandably so. Yeah. Uh, no, I think let's just uh, let's get into it. All right, we'll take a break. You guys go grab yourself a cup of tea because I reckon part two could be a long one as well. Uh, we'll talk to you in part two right after this. Hold up. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog members uh, Patreon Discord server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Uh, just to give you a little heads up about something we did there last week, a really quite fun podcast where we picked our most hated Premier League 11s of all time, myself and James and Andrew Allen did that. It was good fun. It was. I've changed my answer now. It was the 11 who started at Leicester for Arsenal. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you can you can have a listen to that if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon. If you're not, you can sign up for a fiver a month uh, and you get access to a whole pile of podcasts. That one, loads of interviews, loads of history podcasts, articles, all kinds of stuff. And uh, it helps support everything else that we do on the site here as well. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. That's Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. And from there, I'm going to take the first question. James. It comes from Sam Lawson 89. It's a variation on a theme. We've had many questions along these lines. He says, badly morning. Badly morning to you, Sam. Uh, where do we go from here? We have an owner that seemingly has no interest in his franchise being competitive. An old school director of football whose strategy seems to be rooting around for scraps from Barcelona's bins and a manager whose setup looks to have cost us a top four finish when the prospects look great for us on paper with six games to go. Would replacing Emery make any difference? Do we need somebody who understands what it means to be Arsenal on the board, or is all this futile while under the ownership of KSE? Are we in the Hicks and Gillette era Liverpool? Yes, we are. We are. And while that question was being asked, I was thinking of Liverpool. I've been thinking of Liverpool quite a lot yeah. recently, and I, and I was specifically thinking of, of Hicks and Gillette, and the problems in that period for Liverpool were so endemic and they're a little bit reflective of where we are now as a club because they're a club with lofty aspirations who had really sunk to you know they were kind of outside the Champions League got quite relatively frequently weren't they they were sort of around that fifth sixth mark sort of where we are on the fringes of uh, the elite but not really part of it and I think that uh, you know while there were frustrations with players and, and managers in that time certainly uh, I do think the ownership were the root cause there. And it, I think it is sort of fair to suggest that it's probably the same at Arsenal. And ultimately, you know, if you look at Liverpool now and what an incredible transformation it's been, I think there have been uh, some major factors in that. I think the shift in ownership was huge and galvanised everything around that club and galvanised them ultimately to get a manager who I think has done... Uh, a really incredible job and I know it's sort of 
not the done thing seemingly to sort mm. of dish out too much praise to Liverpool but you know it looks like they're not going to win this league title but to run that Man City side quite as close as they have given the resources that City have at their disposal and people say Liverpool spent money but it's money that they mostly made through player sales I think it's, it's pretty amazing sort of whether they win it or not well, yeah I mean to be on 91 points and 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 be in doubt of the title is is incredible. Um, kind of ludicrous, yeah. Yeah, you know, and there was another question here sort of um, uh, along the same lines from, from Lasse Hammer, at Lasse Hammer. He says, the feeling of disconnect with the club and this bunch of players is as big as I've ever felt. What needs to be done for this to change, right? And to me, it's not so much the players. I mean, I get the frustration with the players and we've... we've talked about the ones we don't particularly care for one way or the other and and uh, I think that's reasonable but for me it's it's the fact that I don't feel like Arsenal as a football club is one that is being run in a way that we can all connect with because mm-hmm. what we hear very occasionally from the owner or his son is just not realistic at all. Do you remember when the Super Bowl was on and they were talking about it being the Champions League final of whatever it was and they they brought Raul Sanyehi over and, and whoever... And Arsenal's executives were at the Super Bowl because the LA Rams were were playing in it, and that was Kroenke's team. And and Josh was talking about you know how he'd love to see Arsenal in the Champions League final. I can't remember the exact details of of what he was saying. And I'm thinking, hang on, how how can you even say that out loud when we are so far away from? achieving anything like that from even being potentially capable of getting to the Champions League final you're talking about it as if it's some sort of nebulous uh, aspiration that's uh, unachievable well it's certainly unachievable the way they're they're running the club I mean you've got to have some kind of ambition if we felt like we were owned by people who really really wanted to make Arsenal a sporting success I don't know that we would feel the same kind of angst But what we can't see is a plan or behaviors or a strategy that is designed to get us to where we would want us to be or where Josh or Stan say they want us to be, you know, competing for the biggest trophies and all that kind of stuff. It it doesn't... that's That's where it is for me anyway, is that I don't believe them. I don't believe what they say because it's bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. It's like me saying I want to be a fucking astronaut. I can say it all I want, but it's not going to happen. Maybe when I was 18, if I'd wanted to be an astronaut, I could, you know, could do something (laughs) about it. But not now. I can't be an astronaut now. I agree. I don't think you'll be an astronaut, Andrew. No, I don't. It pains me to say it, but I don't think it's good. I don't think we'll be replaying this clip 10 years down the line and saying, can you believe it? You didn't think you'd make it, but there you are, podcasting from space. No. No, I know what you mean. And and there is a lack of realism, certainly in everything that Cronky's put out publicly, that I think is um, kind of dispiriting. It sort of makes you feel like, well, this doesn't, this is all a charade. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I think that is true. Mm. And I think 
I think that speaks to really their sort of lack of knowledge of the Premier League, really, and, and English soccer and what that is and how difficult that task is. Uh, I think it's partly that is their ignorance that leads to them speaking about it in that way. Let me play devil's advocate a little bit here. Just a little bit. Okay. Not much, though. Just a little bit. Um, do you give them this summer? Um, because because it, they own the club now? And yeah, it's... it'll be their first summer in 100% control. They've very clearly made an executive decision not to do anything in January. Um, and we all, I guess, hope that the... The reason for that is because uh, they've got bigger plans for the summer, right? So, do we give them? Do we give them to this summer and see what they do, or how, how do we? Well, we can do. I mean, we don't owe them anything. I would say, you know, I'm we not don't. Saying we owe them, but like, we have to give them time. But I think, yeah, there is an argument, isn't there, to say, let's see what they do. I think it's more, you know, what happens if they don't, you know, I think that's really, uh, the problem is that ultimately it kind of feels like nothing will happen either way. You know, it's, it's a, it's a locked up deal and it's not going to change anytime soon. Um, you know, we had the intransigence of, of Wenger for many years and now we've got the intransigence of the Cronkies and I think that's probably even more dangerous, much more dangerous. Kat, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Arsenal can achieve what the Cronkies say they want the club to achieve with this self-sustaining model that they, uh, they are so wedded to? I don't know. Sorry, that's my phone going. It's um, okay. I don't know. Can they achieve what they want to achieve with a self-sustaining model? Like, it's... To me, it's not impossible, but you it have to be... It takes something pretty amazing. Yeah, you, you've got to be super smart, super good at buying, super good at selling. You've got to have a really good setup behind the manager or the coach or whatever it is to really drive the club forward, right? And we don't have a head of recruitment. We've got a massive gap in our, in our setup as it is. Yeah, I mean, you can do what Liverpool have done and you still aren't guaranteed to win the league. Do you know what I mean? It's that It's that hard. So uh, I think it's possible, but you need to get an awful lot right. I don't think we're close to doing that at this point. We're sort of a league below that, essentially. Mm. And, and, you know, the question was like, what will change? You know, how much would it change it if Unai Emery went? And I think the reason partly that I'm... I think more tolerant of Unai Emery than, than some is simply because I look at what we are, which is a club trying to get into the Champions League on Europa League money. And I think he might be one of the better people to do that very specific job. So I don't think he's going to win the Premier League. I don't think he's going to win the Champions League. I don't think he's probably even going to compete for those things. But I think he might, in the circumstances, with the ownership that we have, with the budgets that we have, potentially be someone who could bridge that gap and bring us a rung up that ladder. 
Okay, so if he does that, let's say he wins the Europa League. Yeah. And he gets us into the Champions League. Sack him. <laughs> would, would you be... I said that as a joke yesterday, but... Well, I, I know you're joking, and I, it sounds absurd almost to say sack a man who has won us a European trophy, but if you don't mm. believe he's somebody who can win us the league and you don't believe he's somebody who can win the Champions League, if you get into the Champions League, what do you do? I mean, do you, do you hang on to him? Maybe. And, maybe, I mean, and, and, and just sort of let him consolidate? Yeah, I, I would see it more like that. I, would, I think in an ideal world, let's say we scrape into the Champions League this year, which we could still do via the Europa League or even via the Premier League if we're very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, I guess it would be a bit like... It's a little bit like when a manager gets promoted from the Championship and the club are sort of obliged to stay, stick with them. Yeah. And either they sort of consolidate and it's all all right, or they end up getting sacked halfway through the season and they're sort of... They're called a victim of their success, but really what it is is that they're very good at getting teams promoted. And that's what they're really good at. It's like Neil Warnock. He's great at getting teams up. Turns out he's brilliant at taking them down too because, he, you know, that's what he does. And I see, you know, Emery, and I see a guy who wins Europa Leagues and has got some top four finishes this time, and I see a guy who can get a team into the Champions League. And I think that is sort of the limit of it. Um, but we don't behave like a club with the ambition or the spending power to sort of jump from where we are now to where we want to be in one summer, in one step. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, given that Unai Emery appears to have fucked up the top four, and our path into the Champions League might come via the Europa League. That's the thing that he's good at, right? Is that the thing that Unai Emery is good at? The Europa League? I mean, it, it, it could well be. I'm not necessarily being critical of that, but that might well be the thing that Unai Emery is good at. Well, he's definitely good at it. Okay, I mean, yeah, the, so he's, he's definitely good at that. So, you know, apart from, apart from the time he spent at PSG, where winning the league in his second season, you can't take that away from a manager, but, you know, it is a bit like being a giant and going in and kicking the shit out of a, out of a you know, room full of toddlers, in a way, from a, from a sporting and financial point of view. What, what PSG had to spend in the French League, you know, was, was way above um, what everybody else did. And winning the league is... Not winning the league actually is the surprising thing, which he didn't do in his first season um, because I think it was Monaco. Was it Monaco who won it in his first season in in um, in, uh, in France? And then yeah. you know he he didn't really perform in the Champions League with PSG. Uh, with his previous clubs, you know he's been a sixth, seventh place. Manager. Well, that's. I don't think that's true. Valencia, I think it was third, third, third. Oh, was it? Okay. All right. Uh, and I'm just trying to check. I mean, I, I didn't know this, by the way. I'm, I'm just. I'm not trying to catch you out. I'm just checking it as we were speaking because I was thinking. He might, I said he's someone who was capable of getting top four finishes in the league, but maybe that's not true. He was at Sevilla 2013 to 2016. So that was fifth, fifth, seventh, to be fair to you. So he was finishing higher at Valencia than he was at Sevilla. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So sixth place, third place. Um, yeah, he's not. A t- he's not. A- Look, I don't, I don't think he's someone who can take this squad and make it compete with Klopp and Guardiola. I, I would never contend that. Yeah. No, I mean, he's not. He's not. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody really believes that to be the case. No. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, what I'm saying is, if I thought that Kroenke would bring a manager in this summer who thought could affect that scale of change very rapidly. So let's say within two seasons could have us competing for football's biggest prizes and could give them the support that would require. Of course, I would say let's do that. Yeah. Um, Okay, but if you don't see this guy as being the guy to make that kind of a plan, how long do you stick with it in the hope that you can just stabilize things and then build on it like let's be fair let's be fair let's be fair about oh so you give emery another year i mean look at liverpool went through how many managers before they got klopp i know they had the whole hicks and gillette era as well but you know they did go through a number of managers before they got klopp and and the difference um in liverpool now compared to when klopp took over is marked but it's also three and a half years but he, I think he, you know, he's had support. He's had the right kind of support from, from the board at Liverpool. You know, you think about even the the Suarez thing with us and and uh, mm. and the way that money has been spent there. It, it's felt like Liverpool have had a strategy to get them to where they are now mm-hmm. between the manager and the owners, and I don't know that we have that. Maybe we do, and maybe the famous tight-lipped Arsenal will surprise us all this summer with, with an amazing um, display of transfer business acumen and, and ruthlessness and, and everything else. And, you know, I, I, I get it too. You know, Emery's had a, a tough gig. Um, he hasn't been backed in the transfer market in January. I just wonder, I just wonder if he's sort of somebody who could have been the right man, but is at the club at the wrong time. I, I worry about his his personality. I, I think there's just something about his personality that isn't quite right for the club at this moment in time. I think... Maybe. I feel like I don't know him at all. Do you know what I mean? Because of the language thing, I'm just like, he could be... He's mm. a bit of a blank canvas for me. I'd love to hear a, another interview with him in... You know, where he talks to somebody in, in Spanish. There was one a couple of weeks ago, or no, a few weeks ago, uh, maybe in Marca or or Ass or one of those, where he came across much more, he's much more interesting in his own language than he is in English. Yeah. You sure. know, in English, it's like, it's just this sort of weird word salad that that makes it hard to connect with him. You know, uh, on a on a personal level, and I know we judge him for what he does, but you know that's part of it as well. Um, yeah, massively. You know, if you if you can feel like you're connecting with a man as well as a manager, I think that would give you a bit more leeway. And I don't know that Emery can do that in English. And I'm not being critical of that because it's ridiculously hard to go to a new country, learn a new language, and be as expressive. You know, even still, I'm not sure you would suggest that Unai Emery is one of the the great communicators. No, I suspect even in his own language, you know, he's mm. never going to be 
Yeah. He's never going to be, you know, like certain other managers in that respect. Um, that well, makes... Listen, yeah, go on. Listen, this question comes from Aidan Kabuddy. And... Uh, Aiden says, my question goes to Askblog. I've been listening to you for the whole season and I know you have doubts about the manager. So my question is, would you sack Emery and hire a new coach? Uh, give an honest answer. And then he says, who would you hire in his position? I think that's sort of a bit of a, a difficult question. But a really, would you sack Emery? Would I sack... No, I mean, look, he could still get us to where we need to go this... this uh this season, we could still finish in the top four. I don't think it's likely, but it's it's possible. Um, and we could win the Europa League, and and that would be an amazing thing for this club. And and I think in the in the short term uh, angst and frustration that we're all feeling, you know, we're maybe losing sight of of what an achievement that would be, and how how much fun it would be. And would I sack him? Like I don't. I said this before. I don't think. He is the right man for the club if we have ambitions of winning the Premier League. The, the issue I have is, isn't so much with Emery, and I, I, I think he's a decent guy. I think he's an honest guy, uh, as much as football managers you know, can be honest. Um, the issue is, under the current ownership, unless you give the manager the right backing financially, and you have the right setup behind, you know, the, the, this new head coach. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a struggle, and that's where I have, that's where I have the most doubt. Is I think that under Cronky, unless we find somebody with an absolute force of personality, and somebody who can get more out of players than Emery's getting right now. I just wonder if you just keep going around and around on that on that merry-go-round. Like, if you were to say to me tomorrow, t- today, right now, we can sack Emery and bring in somebody who will be better. Of course, of course, mm-hmm. that's the reality of football management now. You know, as soon as we sacked Arsene Wenger, we're we're in the we're in the world that every other club is in, where managers don't stay for. 10 years or 20 years. They might stay for two seasons or 18 months or three years and then they go. And that's where we are. Um, This season, if having been in a position where we could have secured top four with relatively easy, relatively, I use that word, of course, but relatively kind fixtures and we don't achieve top four because we've won one game out of five, and we've got two to go. Who knows how many of those two will 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 win? And if we don't win the Europa League, then I think there are big questions to ask of of Unai Emery. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be against it if we could bring in somebody who who would do better. Of course not. But I I think he's. You no, know, I'm I'm very torn on this, James. You know, I'm I'm quite. It's it's a lot to to consider, isn't it? Because you know you, your your rational mind tells you he deserves a transfer window, and he deserves you know maybe a a chance to to rebuild the squad based on his first season in charge. Mm-hmm. You know all of that, 
you would say it's a reasonable thing to say a manager in his first season at a club can only affect a certain amount of change and if he can then present a plan to the board or whoever and say, look, this is what we need to do. These are the players we need to get. These are the ones we need to get rid of. And if there's a willingness to to give him that backing and to do that work that he sees, then, you know, absolutely. But I also think that if a manager gets to a point in the season where he loses five or six of the last seven league games and maybe doesn't get to the Europa League final, loses against Valencia, then I don't think it's unreasonable to have doubts about his suitability either, you know? So it's it's a hard one, it really is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because they're very different managers and very different personalities hide for very different reasons, but... I suppose there is a comparison to be drawn with uh, Ole Solskjaer at United in that he sort of started relatively well, but I think, you know, had lost sort of six of seven or something going into the Chelsea game, has certainly been on a really terrible run. But one suspects that United, my hunch says they will back him in the summer, having made that choice. Mm. You know, they will spend money to, to give him what he wants. I don't feel like our ownership are going to do the same. I, I suppose my sort of broader feeling on Emery is that when Arsene went, there was a sort of sense of, well, then the next guy might be a kind of ferryman, a transition guy, it, you know, might not be the guy for the long term. Um, it'll be a difficult job to be that sort of successor. And basically nothing about Emery has really changed that for me. And in some ways, I sort of think he's kind of the right character to be in that role. And and I, you know, we had a question from AFC underscore Islington 74 saying, how would you, knowing what we know now, do you think in hindsight a punt of Arteta would have seen things go differently? Mm. Maybe it would, but I never really wanted an Arteta or a Vieira or a Jumberg or whoever it might be to be in that position because I looked at it with the ownership with the squad with where we were in the table with the budget and thought this is a bit of a shit job <laughs> yeah. like it's a really tough job um, and I think you know I'm not wedded to Emery and I, I mean it when I say if he got us up into the top four and he had a year of stabilising it and someone better was available I would replace him without sentiment, without any issues. Mm. I mean, in some ways, that's what I like most about him, is that I don't feel sentimental about him. You know, I don't know him. So if the time comes and there is someone better we can get... Well, yeah, do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah. And I think every Arsenal fan would probably agree. You know, it's not like the, the manager has that sort of groundswell of support or love or affection that our previous manager did. It's not, it's not been built up. And I think you know, his his kind of un, his linguistic problems, I think, could contribute to that because I think it stops us uh, knowing him. Yeah, maybe so. But I also kind of feel a little bit like the football is antithetical to, yeah. to what we would like Arsenal to be and how we want Arsenal to be, right? 
You know, yeah. we can all embrace the pragmatism of tactical flexibility and changes and setting up, you know, for the opposition. And we all wanted that when we were getting done, uh, you know, in the last years of Arsene Wenger, where he tried to do it but couldn't do it because it's just not what he is and not what he does, you know. That's not the way he operated. Um, but at the same time, I think our fondest memories and what we what we aspire for Arsenal to be is a team that plays good football and attacking football and and... That's why I asked you the question about the style earlier. You know, we've had good spells this season, but we haven't had sustained periods where we've played really, really well and achieved results because we played well. You know, and no, I think that's I, hard know, to that's hard to to take on board. Yeah, even the games that we've won, you know, they have felt like marginal gains. Uh, that have swung those matches and I think to be honest a lot of the time the coach deserves credit for that but it's not particularly easy on the eye I mean I've thought a lot this season about that famous Dennis Burkham quote which was do you love Arsenal or do you love do you only love Arsenal with trophies and I've felt like this season the question's been do you love Arsenal or do you only love Arsenal with good football and I do think there's a sort of an interesting period of transition and reflection among Arsenal fans who had a manager who was so wedded to those principles and those ideals but that we found frustrating and then this season you know we haven't played attractive football I'm not going to sit here at all and make the case that we have done that we haven't but it's been interesting how much that's been missed because I feel like if in April May you know March last year when we were struggling under Arsene Wenger I don't think people felt they would miss that as much as they have. I, I agree, but I think also the pragmatism and, and the, you know, results being more important than performances, I think masks some of the issues. You know, people who say, you know, remember during the 22 game on beaten yeah. run and we were talking about how many chances we gave up and eventually that was going to come back and bite us in the arse, which it has done. And and look, yeah. you know, if you, if you, I think everybody prefers good football, um, but... We could deal with playing functional football a lot better if it was coupled with a league position that was perhaps more favorable towards that. So think about, you know, if we had drawn three games this week by Mm. playing defensively or playing negatively or whatever... Yeah, You know, if we ground out three draws because Emery was able to, to get a team together that could just do that, we might not like it, but we will be sitting in fourth place right now on 69 points. And with a home game against Brighton, potentially we could secure a top four this weekend. You know, so the two things have yeah. got to marry each other in a way, don't they? They do. And I... In my opinion, the result almost always is what sort of colours the discourse. Inevitably, like, even if we're not convinced by the performance, it'll always be sort of tied up within that sort of caveat of, you know, but we won and that's the important thing. Yeah. Um, And we haven't won this week and that's why it feels quite shit as it does, rather obviously. But yeah, I, I think we've not played good football this year. Um, for any protracted period, certainly. Uh, and I think maybe we are sort of as a fan base, you know, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but maybe it feels like to me in general, people are kind of discovering that that is a value that they hold more highly than they perhaps imagined that they did. That's how it seems to me. Mm. 
Yeah, it's it's a really complicated situation. I have a lot of conflicting emotions about it, you know. Um, yeah. I really do, you know, and it's not out of any badness or anything to Emery. Uh, I just, I just, I just, this last week has really created <clears throat> some doubts in my mind about his ability to do what we want him to do, even if it is that job of mm. transitioning us into a position where, where we can bring in somebody to take us to the next step. You know what I mean? So Yeah, and also the chemistry is important. You know, sometimes mm. a, a brilliant manager, an exceptional manager might go, you know, Brian Clough at Leeds or, or whatever it is, you know, sometimes it's just not quite right between the coach and the club. And what I hear from you is that you have a an inkling that that chemistry, mm. that balance of personalities just isn't quite right. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, think it's, that's valid if you if that's so you And I think it's it. I think it's to do with the, the context and the circumstances in which Arsenal find themselves as well. Mm. Like, because of what's happening at board level, because of the way that we're owned, because of the the gaps in our, our setup and our structure, I think that makes it even more difficult for Emery. And I think in some ways he is a, um, a victim of that, but but maybe it just doesn't suit him to be at this club at this moment in time. That's kind can I, of... What, can I ask a question? Yeah. How, how Do you think you would feel better about the situation if we still had the sort of Gazidis, Mislintat, Sanyehi uh, power structure that was seemingly established to be the sort of primary successor to Arsmega in some ways with Emery as a sort of satellite to it? Uh, yeah, now you I know, think I would. Yeah, I would. I'd I, feel a lot better about I, it. I think you don't need me to tell you that I was never the biggest fan of, of Ivan Gazidis. Yeah. But I think when you're making a transition from a legacy manager like Wenger and you're moving to a more modern footballing setup, you have to have those structures in place and... We don't have them. Like, Gazidis left, and Mislintat is gone. So two-thirds of that executive structure has now disappeared within what? What was it? Within six months, basically. Mm. You know, Gazidis was gone. Gazidis was gone, what, three, four months after Wenger? I mean, that was a story that ran all summer. So, you know, that had been rumbling on. So they knew behind the scenes that Gazidis was going to fuck off. They knew that. So within literally, you know, a, a couple of months of Wenger going and appointing a new manager and showing him our tunnel area, he's fucking off. And then our head of recruitment, who's, you know, highly thought of and hi highly uh, regarded across European football and who brought us some good players last summer, you know, the kind of signings that we thought we were going to, that we still think we're going to need because we're going to have to be clever in our transfer business to find, you know, the, the diamonds in the rough, you know, the players that, that, that nobody else has really found and, and everything else. Um, you know, for that to be gone, for there to be a power struggle and to have a sort of job share CEO, which is what we have at the moment, we don't have anybody making... Um, the final executive decision. Like Sanyehi is the football guy and Vinay is the business guy and together, yeah, we'll talk about these things. I don't think that's a healthy way for a football club to be run. 
I think you need one person who's the point of responsibility. And at the moment, we can say it's it's Stan or whatever. And I think we can go into this summer and say that if things don't go well from a football point of view, that is on Raul Sanyehi. But I think I would feel better if, whether it was Gazidis or anybody else, you know, if that structure was in place because it felt like at least that was something we were going to build around. And within a few months, it was all torn down. That can't be good. No, it can't be. And I also think that that structure sort of meant that the head coach had a strong measure of accountability. I think it meant that there was sort of something bigger and potentially more sustaining than him. And I sort of have this... What does concern me is that I sort of slightly have a a fear that maybe Sanyehi and Emery are a bit of a pair, like Mm. they're sort of in each other's pockets. and And I worry that... I just worry that, you know, if it does come the time to move Emery on and get someone who we think might be better, I I worry that we might end up in a position again. I've been burned by what happened with our previous manager where we sort of, you know, were tied to him longer than we needed to be. And Mm. I worry about that. I worry about that slightly. Yeah. And I worry about it from a recruitment point of view massively because I really was a fan of sort of having a guy who brought the players in, you know, and, and... Look, I, I, I didn't. They, I think they did a good job of trying to play down the the impact that Mislinta had. Yeah. I think there was a bit of back channel. I won't say smearing, but downplaying the contribution he made and the contribution he could have made. You know. Well, I think you have to look at our signings from last summer and say, you know, for the most part, they've worked out pretty well. I mean, everyone seems very happy with Bernd Leno. Uh, Lucas Torreira, I think there's a lot of promise there. You know, Socrates, um, uh, Genduzzi, you know, I think has obviously increased in value, you know, respect, irregardless of what you think of his ability right now. So only really Licksteiner has a, been a disaster. And then you look at what happened in January where you assume that, Sven was sort of less part of proceedings and we ended up with Dennis Suarez. It's not yeah, exactly. a difficult yeah. equation. How many, how many of those summer signings do you think had any connection to Raul Senyehi and his big book of contacts? I mean, I would say probably none. None. Maybe Lichsteiner? Maybe, who knows? I don't know. I mean, that, that, that really seemed like a non-Sven signing to me. I don't quite know who made that decision. I mean, who made that decision? Uh, I don't know. Don't know either. It didn't, but you know, based on it, it, it didn't feel as disastrous at the time as it does now. Let's be, let's be fair. But yeah, yes, it, it it's not um, it's not a classic Sven deal. But then I guess neither was sort of uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan in, in some ways or, or Aubameyang given their age profile. But look again, like Aubameyang panned out. He's uh, scored 25 goals this season. So, you know, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, uh, Mkhitaryan's a different thing. Sanchez for, uh, for Mkhitaryan has got to be the worst swap deal anyone's ever made, <laughs> ever, ever. Unbelievable. For both clubs, I think it's just... I like how people keep going, yeah, well, we got the better end of it. And it's like, we did, but that is the, sh- like, the shittest victory. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, given that Sanchez has been the worst signing, sort of, in terms of salary probably mm. ever in the Premier League. Us going like, yeah, well, Mkhitaryan scored six goals. It's like, yeah, but we didn't win, guys. We really didn't win there. We didn't win, no. I mean, it's like it's like suggesting only having your foot chopped off when the other guy's had his, you know, both legs chopped off. 
somehow makes you uh, the man on top. Well, yeah, I, I guess it does, but you know, it doesn't alter the fact you don't have a fucking foot. No, so. I mean, I, the strongest thing I can say about it is that even though Sanchez looks sort of potentially like finished at the top level, if you could go back in time and we could keep Sanchez and not have Mkhitaryan, I would still probably do that. I would too. Um, I would too. Which seems like, uh, you know, crazy given that he's not scored for, you know, two years or whatever it is. But, but do you think just... Do you think if he'd stayed at Arsenal that he wouldn't have... I know his contract was up and everything else, but, you know... I think he would have uh, dipped inevitably with time and with age, and I think he um, would have continued to frustrate as he did a little bit in his final season. But I still think... <laughs> I mean, I think he'd get in our team now. Let's put it like that. Fucking right. Fucking right he would. Um, let's let's move on. I've got a question here from Grampian Gunner, and I've got another one as a sort of follow-up to this one. Uh, he says, we're rumours circulating that Czech will be joining Chelsea in the summer as a goalkeeping coach. Does it worry you as much as me that he could potentially be playing for his future employers for a Champions League spot? Um, and also... Um, Telly Tub, who's Elias, who's at Telly Tub, I think, says with Leno being in top form and keeping our goal average from being too embarrassing, bar the Wolves debacle, of course, would you stick with checking goal in the Europa League or would you let our best goalkeeper play? So I don't think that uh, it's a concern that Czech might be joining Chelsea in a backroom role. I, that doesn't worry me at all. I think he's a very good professional and I don't doubt his focus will be on the game. However... I think with the stakes being as high as they are and with top four looking like it's gone and the Europa League being of vital importance, I would start Leno from this point on. Mm, me too. I've changed my mind on this. I thought, yeah, Czech would be fine, but you know, given how, how well Leno has played and how much more important the Europa League is now, yeah. you know. I mean, in a way, Czech can play in the Premier League if he likes. Do you know what I mean? I, I, uh, the Europa League feels like sort of it for our season yeah so play your best team yeah and it's sort of it's taken the top four being gone for me to really feel that quite so strongly yeah I mean I think if if we'd achieve Champions League football via the Premier League I Mm. I would be much more inclined to to stick with Czech and to allow him the the opportunity to go out and to finish his career with a trophy and, and everything else you know because it takes some of the pressure off you know we all want to win the trophy and I don't necessarily say we should lose the final but I think we'd be easier with the decision to pick Czech if we were already in the top four or if top four looked really really likely and we could secure it this weekend with a you know win against Brighton or whatever it is but you know um, we fucked it up we've only won one game in our last five in the Premier League and that changes things that changes you know how I think about the manager and it changes how I think we should set up our team so so yeah, like you, I don't worry about him. If he does pick check, I don't think it's a case that he's going to go, well, I'll, I'll just let one through my legs here because next season I'm going to be playing for, for Chelsea. I don't think that's the case, but um, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, mm. uh, questions. I mean, mm. to be fair, we a lot of the ground that I had sort of lined up for questions, we've sort of ramblingly yeah. covered. Um, I mean, this from Darren O'Brien... Uh, had a couple of variants on this from a few other people was would you take a couple of seasons of lower league positions to completely overhaul the squad and maybe build a youthful athletic side 
Um, I mean, look, it sounds like a nice idea, doesn't it? But again, it's got to be based on a strategy and a coherent strategy that we can believe. And mm. you know what I mean? So if, if the club came out, if we thought we had like top class recruitment people, top class administrators uh, and everything else, and they said, look, here's what we're going to do. We are going to rebuild. We're going to you know, promote a lot of promising youth. We're going to bring in some young players. It might be a step backwards to take a step forwards. You know, I think on paper, in our minds, we can all get behind that. The reality of playing week in, week out, though, makes that much more difficult, right? Because we can say, yes, I'm patient. Yes, I can deal with this rebuilding. Yes, I could, you know, take a few bad results if I can see that it is is part of this strategy. But I don't believe that such a strategy exists or would exist at Arsenal. So I think it's more and more, or certainly this season has been more and more important to get back into the Champions League because I feel like I don't feel like we can just go all the way backwards and press reset. Do you? No, and I, th- I think every year that we're out of the Champions League is costly and probably takes us further away. Tens time- of millions of pounds, uh, according to Vinay, who is our uh, joint chief yeah. executive dude. I think there is a bit of time pressure here, and I think that's right. Mm. So... Um, it is a really appealing idea in some respects to completely blow it up and put the kids in and see how we go. I'm not sure how realistic it is, unfortunately. No. Um, here's a question from at Anish Chandoke. Uh, and he says, next Premier League game is the last home game for Aaron Ramsey. Uh, will he get some sort of farewell or will the tense atmosphere force the club to do nothing? The last player to leave for free after long service was Rosicki and he got a guard of honour, but we had nothing to play for. So how, how do you feel like the club might mark the the final game of Aaron Ramsey at the Emirates? He's, he's unlikely to be fit, isn't he? Is, is he? Is I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. We were told two to three weeks, which seemed ambitious at the time. Um, I mean, wow, we've missed him. I mean, you know, to a certain extent, we kind of were, you know, it kind of made the system work, didn't it? Having Emery, uh, having Ramsey in the central midfield and without him, we've completely gone to pieces. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there will be anything special marking out. I think Rosicki was a bit of a different case uh, in that he was sort of towards the end of his top level career. But Ramsey is essentially sort of leaving to go to a, a bigger and better club in some ways. And I think, you know, I don't think that's something that we'll be happy to make lots of noise about, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Do you think they'll do anything? Maybe captain if he plays, but... Yeah, maybe they could do that. I don't know about a guard of honour. I think we've got to focus first and foremost on the on the game against Brighton, which we... We have to win, of course, to get ourselves back to to winning ways, uh, which we could do on Thursday, of course, against Valencia. We could get back to winning ways there. I'm not 100% sure that we will, but there you go. Um, Does he deserve... I mean, they'll probably have the lap of appreciation, will they? Depending on what happens against Brighton Um, and maybe what happens against Valencia on Thursday. I I think, to be honest, Ramsey deserves some kind of recognition for uh, a good career with us. He's spent, what, 10 years? Is it 10 Mm. years now? Um, I know he's leaving on a free, but, you know, he's done uh, a very good job for us down the years. He suffered a terrible injury. He's always 
given his best. He scored two cup final winners. I'm really hoping he can score another cup final winner before before he leaves. Um, that's obviously incumbent on on us getting to to the Europa League final. That will be a great way to say goodbye, but will they do? I don't know that there'll be anything. I, I think you know they will do the lap of honour, as you say. Um, and he'll probably get a very special send-off from the fans during that. But I don't know if they'll mark it in any sort of more official way uh, than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you got another one? or? Uh, I did have one. It was on the Discord. Let's see if I can find it. It was from Start Many. He just said, what do you think about Emery saying technical quality without physicality is not enough in the Premier League? when he approved the signing of Suarez, who is the definition of lightweight. Uh, I didn't see that quote. Um... Oh, it was in an interview he gave to Sky Sports, I think. Um, and he, he was really talking about the importance of physicality and that being one of the big sort of lessons of his time in the Premier League. Um, it will be interesting to see how much that influences what he does in the, what Arsenal do in the summer. Welcome, welcome Nzanzi. Yeah, welcome Nzanzi. I can see the hashtag now. Um, what do I think? I mean, I think uh, maybe you have to take the two things in isolation a little bit. You know, Suarez wasn't brought in in a position where physicality is necessarily the, the key factor, is it? You know, he was going to yeah. play wide left or wide right if he had been fit and or good enough. I mean, the more I think about it, the more ridiculous a deal it was. You know, he had barely played all season for Barcelona. He wasn't match fit. He, yeah, it's bad, bad transfer. I mean, I, I guess if we'd had a spate of injuries in that position, we'd say, oh, good job we got Denis Suarez. But, you know, it, it hasn't panned out that way. On the physicality thing, I think sometimes we hear that and we assume... We're going to sign, or we need like six foot five, muscle bound guys. I think what a big thing we lack in this team at the moment is sprinters. I really think, you know, <clears throat> I spoke mm. about it earlier, but in the wide areas particularly, we're kind of one paced, and I think that is a, a big, big problem. If you look at Liverpool, look at City, the speed they have in those wide areas is, you know, incredible. And even Chelsea and United, you know, and Spurs players like. Son, Hudson Adour, I know he's injured now, but Rashford, you know, we we don't have that. Yeah. So that would be something definitely that we really need to add. Yeah. I've got a question here, which is something I think that you, you talked about um, on Twitter during the week, and I, I tend to agree with you about this one, but it comes from Brownlow03, who says, why don't we ever buy players from within the Premier League? We can we can see clearly that there are quality players in the teams below us who have good Premier League experience. And he cites people like Fraser, Richarlison, Madison. Um, and then he says, who was the last Premier League player that we bought? Was it Chambers? I can't remember. But, you know, he says uh, Liverpool, City and Spurs do well buying within the Premier League and they don't necessarily have to spend big money. Um, is that something you think we maybe need to focus on a little bit more when it comes to our recruitment? Definitely, I really do. And again, I feel like I use Liverpool's reference a lot, but they've done it exceptionally well. Um, 
And it's not just Van Dyke, you know, it's people like Robertson, even squad players like Shakiri, who's been okay for them this season. Um, Henderson, you know, it goes on and on. And I think Arsenal fans are sometimes a little bit snobbish about uh, other Premier League players. I mean, if I look at the reception, someone like, I don't know, Fraser at Bournemouth, something like that. You know, people are a bit uh, unconvinced. I, I can understand that. But, I, you know, every week we go out and we play against these players and they do a lot of damage against us. And yet we say, oh, no, they, you know, they're, they're not Arsenal quality. I think that's a bit of a hangover from the days when Arsene Wenger was sort of plucking unknowns from the French second division. And, you know, they were making a massive difference in the Premier League. But uh, yeah, I, I'm sure there are players outside the top six who could improve us. And uh, we see it. We see it. They'd, they'd walk into our team, James. They'd Players, walk into our team. Well, no. In fairness, yeah. you, you can not necessarily Crystal Palace, but certainly the games against Wolves and and Leicester, you could see players that would do a, do a good job for us. No question. Yeah, I mean, and 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 you know, in the Palace game, I mean, you know, Zaha, Wilfred Zaha has a lot, a lot of the attributes that we really lack. Um, and Wolves have got some terrific players, I think. Really, really good players. I mean, I think you'd actually struggle to get them out of there because... Yeah, you would. But, I mean, in fairness, they have spent a lot of money. And there is yeah. this weird Portuguese transfer oh, cartel yeah. shit going Spenders on there, you know, which is um, which is a little bit difficult. Uh, but, you know, it's a strategy. It's an effective strategy. Maybe one people can turn their noses up at, but it is a functioning, effective strategy. Wolves have been promoted and could finish as high as seventh based on yeah. the, the plan that they put in place. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it it says a lot for for having that and probably says a lot um, about where we are. And also, I think it says a lot about the way the Premier League is structured. I think it's probably easier to go from 20th to seventh than it is for us to go from uh, sixth to second. I think the gap at the top is is widening. You know, when you look at Liverpool and City, how good they are compared to everybody else, we are miles off them. Yeah. Absolutely miles off. Isn't it, isn't it mental? I saw a clip of Arsene Wenger talking at the weekend and he said, Tottenham are in third and they've lost 12 games. I know. I know, because they haven't drawn any, have they? They've drawn like one or two, I think. So. I know, but imagine losing 12 games and being third. Yeah. That's mental. And I don't know if that says a lot about, you know, Liverpool and Manchester City and how far ahead they are. It probably does. But I think it also tells you something about the teams below third. Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea, and how poor collectively the seasons have been for for all three. Yeah, I think United and Chelsea have had, you know, we've spent good periods of the season laughing at them. And unfortunately, we're now in the period of the season where they're probably laughing at us. Mm. Uh, I think it is a little bit sort of who's the the least bad out of those three. And it's incredible that Sari, who has spent the entire season being abused by his own fans, and we've sort of thoroughly enjoyed it on this podcast, uh, could end the season as being the guy who not only makes the top four, but has still got a possibility to win a trophy too, the Europa League, and reached a final. Uh, in the League Cup final. So it's mm. kind of crazy, isn't it, to think that he was the one who everyone was kind of taking the piss out of and might might come up trumps in the end. Yeah, yeah, OK. We, we shall see. I mean, it's, it is ludicrous, but the top four 
is is still possible. If wow. Leicester if Leicester beat Chelsea, it's possible. I'm not saying it'll happen, but it's possible. Yeah. And that speaks, I think, to how... I mean, look, it's a look crazy season. We're talking about our results. No one's won a game. Spurs haven't won a game. United haven't won a game. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, actually, Tottenham, their last three games, lose, win, lose. Chelsea's last three games, lose, draw, draw. Arsenal, lose, lose, lose. Manchester United, lose, lose, draw. I mean, it just mm. adds to the frustration, of course, because, you know... We don't really care what the other teams do, um, but what we do, uh, I'm not saying we don't care, but when they lose, you know, um, we should be there to take advantage and we weren't, but there you go. Uh, this has been a long podcast, James. I think we should... The longest ever. It is. I would say. It is. I texted you yesterday and I said, I think this could be the longest Arscast uh, Extra of all time. And lo and behold, it is. I'm not it sure we've good. found any answers, but I wonder if talking it out has made you feel any better at all? Uh, yeah, it always does a bit. And I hope it has made the listeners feel a bit better. Um, we've got a massive game on Thursday, so... Yeah. We've not even talked about it, but... Uh, it's huge now, isn't it? Absolutely it is. Huge it is one. absolutely massive. Valencia on Thursday at the Emirates' first leg where, you know, we could take a great stride towards making the Europa League final. Um, mm. And let's hope that, you know, if the consequence of this terrible league form, which is absolutely terrible, is to make us focus 100 and bazillion percent on the, on the Europa League, uh, let's hope we see that reflected in the performance on Thursday because um, anything like the last few games and we are going to get we're going to get frustrated again as far as I can tell this game takes on greater importance for Valencia because uh, they lost at the weekend um, and it leaves them in sixth place in La Liga uh, the gap isn't huge now. In fairness, they're on three fifty-two points. points. Yeah. It's three points to Getafe, who are in fourth. But it means that potentially the Europa League is a bit more important for Valencia if they want to get back into the Champions League as well. So, and look, you're in a semi-final where every player is going to want to be in the final. Um, so it's it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. I wouldn't like to yeah. call it. I am not going to call it. No. <laughs> Let's see. Me neither. Okay, I think what we can do is is call an end to this podcast. Thank you very much indeed if you've listened all the way through. Maybe it's taken you more than, than one go, uh, but thanks as ever for being with us. We will, uh, I think I might have a little extra bonus podcast this week uh, looking uh, at Valencia themselves. Um, I'm trying to work that out, but uh, keep an eye on the feed. That will be out maybe tomorrow or Wednesday if I can make that happen. Um, in the meantime, um, what words of final words of comfort can I give us at least we didn't get our foot chopped off hey there's that there is that we'll catch you on the next one folks yeah <laughs> bye bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.